0: Welcome to Conversations with Academics. My name is Dylan Gomes. Since the last episode, I have ended my position as a PhD student at Boise State University, and I'm now a postdoc at the Cooperative Institute for Marine Resources Studies, which is a part of Oregon State University and is based at the Hatfield Marine Science Center in Newport, Oregon. Today, I had an enjoyable conversation with Katie McConnell, who is a doctoral candidate at Yale, studying how natural disasters, specifically wildfire, impact people's lives. So we talk a bit about that and her journey from a PhD student to a PhD candidate, as well as mine, and a bit about how COVID has impacted our daily lives and schedules. Well, um, I'll, I'll just give you a brief introduction, and then you can kind of talk about what what you do and, and what you're interested in. And so you're, you're a doctoral candidate at the Yale School of the Environment? Yep, exactly. Okay, that's right. And, and your, your name is Katie McConnell. Am I say, mm-hmm. pronouncing that correctly? Okay. Well, well Katie, thank you for um, being here. And I'll, I'll let you sort of take it away and, and tell us a little bit about what you do and what your research questions are and the sorts of things you're interested in.
1: Yeah. So um, let's see. My name's Katie, like you said, and I live here in Boise, Idaho. I guess you're in Oregon. Is that right? But you're in Boise State.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Very cool. Well, I'm doing maybe a similar thing that you are where I'm affiliated. I'm a student at Yale, but they let me move back to Boise maybe a year before the pandemic. Um, Now it's a lot more common for folks to be away. But Um, My dissertation research is on how wildfires affect where people live and move to. So it made a lot of sense for me to be out west, um, wildfires not being as severe of an issue in Connecticut or New England more generally. Um, And I, I come to this research from environmental sociology, which is my home discipline. I'm in an interdisciplinary department that has folks studying across a whole range of different disciplines. Um, So really big picture, I've been studying, I guess the first question is whether wildfires do change migration patterns. So I've been doing some sort of more statistical analysis, trying to look at large scale patterns across the whole country. Um, And then really specifically I've been honing in on understanding the experiences of folks who have decided to make the move after their homes were destroyed or damaged by a fire, um, and also talking with folks who decided to rebuild and remain in place after having their community affected by the fire. So a lot of my interests, as you can tell, are in questions around migration and how changing environmental conditions are, are or are not influencing migratory patterns. So, a lot of the work that's more qualitative ends up trying to understand more from the ground level, how decisions are actually being made about moving or not moving.
0: That's fascinating. I mean, so I guess, I don't know where to begin. What what are, what have you learned so far on this journey? Like what are the biggest take homes?
1: Yeah. So from the qualitative work, I think it's, Just really an appreciation for how complex decision making ends up being for folks uh, who've lived through fire damage. I think in the quantitative migration world, uh, for the purpose of developing models, you end up having to simplify down that decision making to just a handful of variables, which I still think is very useful and I still do that in my work. But sometimes if we forget that that work itself was based on simplifications, it's easy to look over or forget <laughs> like what things actually look like in practice. So I guess just to give you an example, I've talked to some folks who um, have moved to Idaho after their home was destroyed in California. And I always asked this question that, um, At first I thought it was a very stupid question. Like I thought the answer would be obvious, but I borrowed it from a survey that was used uh, with folks who lived through Hurricane Katrina. So I knew it was a legitimate question. And the question is, would you say that you were better or worse off after the fire? And so talking with folks who lost all their possessions, you know, their community was significantly changed probably permanently in some ways. And I still found folks who would tell me, well, I'm better off now, my life is better off for a range of complex reasons, some of which are I finally had the opportunity to move somewhere that I felt more politically welcomed. I'd felt like sort of a political outlier in California and now I've found more of a home in, in Idaho where I feel accepted. Where um, I've talked to folks who through nature of different federal programs and insurance, They were able to purchase a home for the first time and they'd been renters their entire life. So obviously not everyone's story ends positively in that way, but I think it it just illustrates that some of the expectations that we as researchers have, or or even folks just who just read the news about wildfires and displacement, um, those those expectations are not always right. They're a lot more complicated.
0: Yeah, and as, so as you know, um, my, my family were some of the people who lost their homes in some yeah. of the 2018 fires, and so I, I wasn't directly affected, but I, I did go and visit them right after it happened mm-hmm. and saw sort of a smoldering house and, and basically saw that all of their possessions were just disintegrated, right? Yeah. And um, again, you know, I don't want to equate my, my position mm-hmm. with actually be experiencing this trauma Um, But it did positively affect me, because Mm. after I returned home to Boise, where I where I then lived, um, I got rid of a bunch of things I got rid of a bunch of possessions that I realized were just cluttering my life. And I thought, you know, I kind of went through the house, I said, if my house were to burn down, what things would I not miss? What things would I really not care about? What things do I really not use? Mm. And, and that felt really freeing for me.
1: Mm. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. I, so like when I talk with folks from my university or, or maybe even from the East Coast or, or folks who are not directly related or, or don't know other people who have lived through an experience like this, I think it's really hard to wrap their heads around um, like how it's possible that there could be positive outcomes from this or even just the complexity of decision-making. Um, that's really interesting.
0: And and so I I guess I'll just clarify something from earlier that, um, so I, I was in Boise and I, I, so during COVID, I was sort of doing what you, you were doing now mm-hmm. and kind of moved around and stuff. And I, I actually recently, um, started a postdoc position in Oregon. So awesome. I, I have sort of left Boise, but this is sort of a segue into how has, how has having that opportunity, uh, I, you know, for lack of better terms of COVID and, and putting you in Boise, How has that affected your work? You you mentioned being out west and and being closer to where people are actually um, experiencing.
1: Yeah, well, first I'm gonna shut my windows since there's a plane and I don't want the noise to mess things up. Um, So I had originally planned to do really extended in-person field work, uh, primarily in Butte County, California, talking with folks about the sort of recovery and reconstruction process following the campfire. And I spent several weeks down there before the pandemic and have not left Boise for over a year at this point. So all of my plans of in-person field work for my dissertation, like largely out the window. Um, I may be able to do some again this summer, but you know, my dissertation clock has continued to tick down. So at that. Unfortunately, the qualitative work has ended up being a smaller portion of my overall dissertation. However, I think one change that I've made that I'm actually really happy about is that I've shifted towards um, trying to speak with folks who left Butte County or left anywhere else after a wildfire and moved elsewhere. And so a a lot of that is focused on the experiences of folks who now live here in Idaho, so who are now part of my sort of larger community. Um, And I think that this has made the work for me feel a little bit more genuine or less, I'm dropping in from outside to a community I'm not a part of and more, I'm trying to understand the experiences of newcomers to my community as new members of my community. Um, I also think that this, refocus on the experiences of folks who've moved is interesting from uh, a migration studies perspective or a disaster studies perspective because um, those folks are a lot harder to track down and, and find and talk to because they end up being dispersed. So you can imagine, so a lot of disaster research logically in some ways ends up being focused in the immediate location where the disaster happened, um, which is how I'd originally imagined my work. But I think that means de facto, a lot of that research misses out on understanding what's happened to folks who've left just by nature of the methods that are being used or like the, the field site that's adopted, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's not really a random sample, is it? It's you're sort of filtering in some way.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely.
0: So what, uh, how, what got you into this work in the first place? How did this all happen?
1: As a PhD student, when I first started out, I was thinking a lot about climate change and migration. And there's a lot of work that's being done on sea level rise, hurricanes, um, flooding even, to try to understand how these sort of intensifying climate impacts will affect population dynamics. And um, I realized that there is really not work being done on wildfires almost at all there's still very little research in this area and for me having I was born and raised here in Idaho where wildfires are just a part of life Like I remember I think it was my first day of kindergarten class was canceled early because there was a wildfire that was threatening homes and sort of you could see it from our school or from my neighborhood um so it, it was foreshadowing a high- of your future yeah exactly career. it was like a, a hazard that was much more familiar to me personally and felt like it was not examined in the literature and i also wanted to move back out west while i was doing my dissertation and it was a good confluence of uh, research justification to bring me somewhere that i wanted to be for more personal reasons
0: yeah. And and so I'm not familiar with natural disaster research at all. Is how, how often or how does that sort of inform policy? And like, what are the, I, I don't know if that's the goal or, because mm. it's not always the goal of research, right? Sometimes it's, it's we're just exploring this and, and then somebody yeah. else is going to take it and use it for policy.
1: That's but a just, good question.
0: Just curious about that.
1: I think that probably really varies researcher to researcher and like which type of institution they're in. But my sense is that most folks doing disaster-based work um, tend to try to get their research more in front of policymakers or they're doing it, there's an impetus towards like helping people or or trying to, um, gosh, trying to make the outcome after disasters less bad than it has to be. I'm trying to think of specific examples I might give you. But I think that's a general ethos. It's definitely not basic research, I wouldn't say.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it just seems so applicable to what's going on right yeah. now all over and, and I was just curious you know, how, that, how that information actually sort of moves up the chain of command and, and decision. Yeah,
1: so, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I'm still learning that and figuring that out myself.
0: <laughs> I'm what,
1: curious actually what type of research that you do.
0: Yeah, well, so my my dissertation work was on sort of a noise pollution and the ecological questions or ecological theory behind it. So we, we studied natural noise, um, river noise, and how animals might be using that information to make habitat selection mm-hmm. decisions. And, and sort of a so it's sort of the the human made noise mm-hmm. part, but it's kind of um, we're kind of going back in time, and right? so trying mm. to think evolutionarily, huh. you know what what these longer term noise sources might have,
1: Interesting. Sort of, uh,
0: how they might have shaped animal decision making.
1: Huh.
0: Um, yeah. But now I'm now I'm actually, uh, and this is this is partially why I asked the question. I'm I'm actually working with Oregon State and NOAA on some juvenile salmon survival uh, mm. modeling. Mm-hmm. modeling those things uh, in an ecosystem framework or like a food web model and part of the reason I'm, I'm making this transition is my dissertation work didn't feel applied enough mm-hmm. it felt like I was you know I was really interested in the questions I, I found them interesting I I enjoyed the methods but I I wanted I wanted it to be just more easily you know plucked from the tree of knowledge and then applied to a scenario yeah. and yeah and we're losing our, our wild species of salmon um, pretty pretty dramatically. So, uh, so, so it, you know, it's a sort of a perfect perfect way for me oh, to kind of really take cool. what I know and quantitative methods, but then start applying it. And I don't really know how that's going to be applied. It won't be applied by me. Um, so I, I'll, I'll still sort of my day to day job won't really change right Mm -hmm. but but I I guess I'll go to sleep at night feeling better (laughs) better about how I'm spending my time
1: that's really cool and I know that's something that I've felt a big difference moving here to Boise and starting to collaborate and spend time with folks who are at Boise State I think there's a really different ethos compared to Yale of working collaboratively with Local organizations or, or governments, regional governments, to do some of that more applied work, um, whereas at Yale, sort of uh, <laughs> just tr- trying to publish and talk to your journals is the primary goal, which yeah. um, sometimes does not feel in sync with answering questions that are really needed for communities.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that it, I, I think a second problem that might be related is we've we've tended to you know, kind of silo ourselves into our own fields, and mm-hmm. and that's both you know from academia to uh, sort of apply you know policy and stuff like that, but also like within academia. And um, one thing, one of the groups at, at Boise State that w- I I found really uh, exciting is that it's called the Human Environment Systems. Yeah, they're great. Yeah, yeah, and they're they're taking all these ideas from ecology and geosciences mm-hmm. and, and human. Uh, sociology human behavior mm-hmm. and really trying to put them together to to understand the world
1: absolutely I think they're awesome and um the work that's coming out of that department is really exciting
0: so um I guess one of the questions I had that Sort of goes back a little bit to to both you being a doctoral candidate currently and and me just finishing and and moving on. And I was just curious, how how were your comprehensive exams? Did you did you have Mm -hmm. to do those remotely, or were you in Yale currently when you did those? And just what was that process like for you?
1: Yeah, I was in New Haven then, and my process. Let's see, for our school, it's different than other departments at Yale because all students are studying different things, so it would not make sense for me to take the same comps as my economist or biogeochemist colleagues who are also in my cohort. Um, so I developed a really long reading list of books and articles with the help of my dissertation committee, and uh, read them for a year. <laughs> and then at the end of that year, I spent two weeks full-time writing responses to essay questions from my committee that were formed from the text that I would put together. And I also had a data analysis component where I was given a data set and asked to analyze it in specific ways and report back. So pretty intense couple of weeks, but uh, I'm glad it's over.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so did you have an oral exam component too or not?
1: Uh, So, Concurrently to the exams and writing essay responses, I was developing my dissertation prospectus, the proposal for the work I would do. And I did have an oral defense of that um, in front of my committee, yes. But it felt like weirdly dissociated. There were like these essay questions that I never talked with anyone about or received any feedback on other than that I passed them. And then the prospectus, which we had really long conversation about.
0: Interesting. So, at, at, yeah, uh, the reason I ask is, um, <laughs> so mine were different to, to start. Uh, how were yours? They, um, so w- we, had, we had, for the written part, we had the option of taking sort of traditional written exam. And, and like you said, that was going to be different depending on your committee yeah. and all sorts of things. Um, or you can write a review paper. And oh, cool. so I chose to write the review paper cause I was that like, you know, <laughs> <let's>, yeah, two, <laughs> two birds with one stone kind of yep. thing, like let's yep. have a publication at the end. Um, and so that, that part went really well and I enjoyed that. And, and cool. like you were saying, I mean, it was, it was a couple years of reading papers and really, mm-hmm. you know, it was more work than I initially thought, but in the end I was happy that I had that option. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, then we had, uh, an, we didn't have a, a data analysis component which sounds really interesting. Um, but we did have, or or I did have uh, oral exams. And that, that was was sort of, you know, your committee members either give you some reading materials or they don't. Um, Mm -hmm. Most of mine didn't. And then, and then it was about a three hour uh, sort of grilling period where they, you know, ask you questions and, and, they're basically trying to figure out like, do you, do you know the things that you should know in ecology to do, in order your, work. To, to, mm-hmm. to do your work, to get mm-hmm. a PhD, et cetera. Um, and, and it felt pretty brutal to me, <laughs> to be honest, that
1: sounds hard. <laughs> um,
0: but, but, you know, it, it, at the same time while I was doing it, I, I'm, I'm, f- I'm friendly with all of them. We, mm-hmm. well, we all have working relationships and mm-hmm. um, I didn't, I didn't think they were going to fail me. And so it was. It was sort of a, a bit of a weird balance of, of, like, is this going well? Or, you know, are, I, I, I hope they don't feel do. yeah. I don't think they're going to, but, but maybe I they will because yeah. you can take it multiple times. And so it was kind of a weird experience.
1: Yeah, I think it seems like there are different institutional cultures around how those exams are approached. Like, I remember being advised by my dissertation chair that. My disar- my committee wouldn't let me take the exam unless they felt like I was ready for it and they expected that I would perform well enough to be able to pass it. So that was helpful that it w- but I do think there are other departments even at Yale where um, it's not so clear that you will pass <laughs> if you take yeah. the exam.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. It does seem like the, you know, an advisor's role is to, to make sure. Sh- not only make sure you're prepared, but but to let you know if you're not before, yeah. you know, diving yeah, exactly. like, look, I don't I don't know if you should be taking this right now. You might want to yeah. take some extra time. Yeah, And that's true for the defense too, right? You know, the mm-hmm. final defense. Yes, absolutely. People, people shouldn't really right. be failing. Um,
1: yeah, I agree.
0: Unless they're just like, well, I need to- Cross my fingers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and for me that the, you know, so we had the, the actual uh, public presentation and then a closed door defense with the committee. Great. And that closed door went so much better than my comps. I mean, it that's was
1: great. Everyone uh, felt
0: much more like colleagues at that point. And, that's and,
1: awesome. So. What, what did you talk about as someone who's not gone through that process yet? Like, was it sort of an assessment of what, what you've done? Was it a conversation about what you hope to do next? What...
0: Yeah, I mean, it was a little bit of everything, it was, it was um, tying up loose ends of things I didn't know from my comps. So there was a little bit of that, like things mm-hmm. that they said, okay, at the end, you know, you didn't know this. We we think you should know this. So maybe study up on that a little bit and we might uh-huh, ask you again. Uh-huh. Um, but most of it was, you know, just about about the work I had done, like, oh, yeah. have you thought of this? Or have you, you know, considered that this might affect this in a different way, or, mm-hmm. or just, mm-hmm. just sort of feeling out how much you've you've thought through, thought through. all the yeah. processes yeah. that you're you're working with and and then a little bit of, you know, well, what's what's next for you and just, cool. you know, cool. what are you thinking about now and, mm-hmm. and how what would you have done differently? I thought that was mm-hmm. a really great question.
1: Oh, that is. What would I have done differently? Oh, my gosh. Stopped a pangolin from being eaten somewhere and then <laughs> <done> my quality <closet laughs> <somewhere. laughs> work.
0: So what's, what's your timeline looking like? Are you, how much? Yeah.
1: I am hoping to defend next spring. So I'm about exactly a year away from when I would need to turn in my dissertation, which I think I'm on track
0: to do. (laughs) Yeah, that's exciting.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's been, I think a lot of folks, I've been able to substitute work for the qualitative research that I was no longer able to do. So I feel really fortunate that I could fill in and make changes. But I know a lot of my colleagues who do more full-time ethnographic qualitative work or even who do natural science field work but internationally have been in really hard situations and I I really feel for them.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah I I know a lot of people who basically their their first field season or you know or, or their second right after they figured out everything that they needed to do differently got canceled. And I was really lucky that I I had completed all of my field work prior. And then I was just in the analysis writing up stage, which is like the perfect time to have the world shut down because all you want to do is hold up and and work. No
1: distractions, no FOMO.
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I hear you. Are you going to be doing field work for the postdoc that you're in now?
0: Um, Yes and no. I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not required to, but I'm I'm sort of doing like um, some pulling in data from different sources and and sort of uh, analyzing those data. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, one thing that's kind you know kind of important is to figure out okay how are these data actually collected and yeah and, and that sort of a thing. And so I'm hoping you know pending with COVID, I'm hoping to go on some of these surveys and sort of experience what it's like to be collecting data. Cool. Um, yep. But yeah, it, it won't be a primary sort of daily thing that I'll be, I'll be doing. Got which, it, got it. Which at first, you know, I, I, I think I got into ecology because I like spending time outside and I love nature. Mm-hmm. And now I'm, I'm like, I'm pretty excited by sitting behind a computer screen and, and coding or something, which is, yeah, life's weird. I, do,
1: I definitely hear you. I did not expect that that would be something that I actually enjoyed doing at the start of my PhD and now it's like calming in a weird way.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's it's little little puzzles that are I don't know sort of straightforward in a way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Tangible. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Answerable in a time where a lot of questions are not. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. Um, so with COVID, are you, you're working independently? Do you? I'm I'm curious about your schedule. Like, do you? do you fit a nine to five schedule perfectly or do you just kind of work when you feel like it play when you feel like it or how do you like do you track hours how does that all work for you
1: yeah I try to keep a pretty strict schedule um, for my own mental health so I it's not exactly nine to five but I would say it's like usually a solid eight or nine hours per day um, in a block yeah and then Sundays I also work some as well but sort of give or take depending on what's coming up in a given week yeah
0: yeah I I, I find for myself that it it is good to have a schedule yeah. because otherwise your brain your brain doesn't have an off switch you know it's just like yes. oh we're on all the time yeah. like it, it, there's you know when when do you tr- not necessarily turn it off but when do you focus it on other things you know. definitely
1: and It feels like with, at least for me, being home all the time because of COVID, it's like especially, it can be especially hard to turn it off when you're just still in the same space where you were working for the rest of the day. And so it feels especially important to have time boundaries when like the space is all compressed into one.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really, really great point that somehow we are able to separate better when you go into a yeah. workspace yeah and then you come home it's like your your brain's like okay different you know yeah, different we doing then different then things mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so now we're forced to separate it in time yeah 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 um what about distractions at home do you do you feel like there are more distractions at home or is it i mean maybe you know some people have really quiet places to work yeah i just feel for people who don't
1: i agree yeah i um I feel really lucky that I live with my partner in a house where we have both been able to carve off a room for ourselves to work. My husband also works full time from home and I found it works pretty well. I, th- I think it would be very hard if we were both working in the same room, that would be very distracting. Mm-hmm. Uh, we both take a lot of phone calls, but um, I think my cat's my main distraction. I, Maybe Slack is my main distraction because that's my only social world these days.
0: (laughs) Okay, I just have um, one last question. And that is, what are your hobbies? What do you like to do when you're not working?
1: Well, I think since the pandemic started, I've just been doing a ton of walks and hiking. I did that a lot before, but even more so now, just spending time outside and have also been escaping my backyard which has been really fun just like trying to recreate a physical environment when so much of my daily life otherwise is computer-based and ephemeral and um yeah so I think doing things around the house has been great um I would say those are my two main hobbies right now nice. not super exciting
0: <laughs> well you're getting outside getting some sun yeah
1: yeah totally
0: that's important well I guess any do you have any last closing thoughts or anything you want to want to make sure it gets on you Mm. not that you have to
1: (laughs) yeah I know I think I'm just looking forward to like being in a research world where collegiality and like interacting with people is part of that world again like I think I've learned a lot and like developed a lot of personal skills being able to force myself to sit for eight hours and not talk to anyone and do work. And in some ways I'm really grateful to have been forced to develop those skills, but I also am just going to be really happy when that's not what every day looks like indefinitely in the future.
0: Yeah. yeah I, I, I have to say, I was definitely excited at first. Um, my my partner actually lives in Colorado and so Mm -hmm. when I was in Boise I got to be with her and Mm -hmm. spend all my time with her and so it was like it was a great um, it was really a great thing for us yeah and I didn't really miss social interactions that much but Um, (laughs) you know now that it's been a year um, it's like well yeah it would be great to have some some colleague interaction in person and not and then we spend so much more time staring at a screen, which totally, yeah, isn't totally. good for our I eyes. Our,
1: like, very, yeah. Yeah. yeah, but hopefully we're getting to the other side. Yeah. Hmm.
0: Well, Katie, thank you so much. It was really a pleasure talking to you.
1: Yeah, you too. I appreciate you having me on. It was nice to sort of take a step back and, and talk through our experiences together. Thanks, Dylan.
0: Yeah, I appreciate it a good, good point of reflection as hopefully we're coming out of the pandemic.